Don't think healthcare professionals have any business experience? Think again. No topic is off limits as we share tales from our brave hosts who will always tell it like it is. We are hashtag no filter healthcare. Here to guide you through your healthcare journey are your hosts, Taylor Dunn and Tamara Donda. We want to thank our sponsor, Uptime Health, the leading healthcare equipment and compliance management software company for bringing this podcast to fruition. Visit UptimeHealth.com to learn more. Let's get started. Welcome to hashtag no filter healthcare. I'm your co-host, Taylor Dunn. And I'm your other co-host, Tamara Dondon. Today, we have our guest speaker, Ellie Nadiri with Dental Solutions. Hey, Ellie. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on, ladies. Yeah, we are thrilled to have you here. And I get the pleasure of announcing that Ellie is one of our newest advisors for Uptime Health. So we are so happy to have you and to celebrate this and I know you've got a lot of things to be celebrating right now, a lot of big updates and everything like that, but um, let's get started and have you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the dental industry. Yeah, you got it, guys. Well, it's such an honor to be a part of the Uptime Advisory Board and um, excited for some really big things to come for you guys in the organization, but selfishly, because I know it's going to help out the industry so much. So on that note, I've been in the dental industry for a very long time. You know, I've held multiple positions, everything from private practice, front and back. I was a hygienist in a past life. And the last 15 years or so, I've been in various executive roles within DSOs. And that's where I really start to understand that we have pretty big um, silos that exist within our industry. And, um, you know, there's a lot of interest uh, within the DSO space from investors and um, not a lot of knowledge on how to build a great, healthy organization. Uh, so having had that experience and living, you know, some of the pain points that I've had to experience over the years, I am super excited to partner with folks like Uptime Health um, to break down some of those silos and bring better solutions to our industry. Yeah, we are so happy to have you and with your experience and you're just such an impressive person. But one of my favorite things is that you're also super welcoming um, and you're always looking to help others grow. Just, you know, if it's for the organization as a whole, but also individually. I mean, every time that Tamara and I get to talk to you, you're always open to providing us with feedback or suggestions or ways for us to better ourselves. And it's just it's really, it's a nice, it's a great quality to have, <laughs> to be so open and, and warm as a person um, and to be so successful too. So Thank you. I call that paying it forward, right? So someone's done that for me throughout the years. Many people have actually. And so I'm glad to, to pay it back. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the things about your experience and your current roles that I find to be so impressive is that you're currently an operating partner for a PE firm. And I'm curious to know, so what are some of the challenges that you faced when you t took on this role? And, and did any of those challenges have anything to do with you being a female in the industry? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, um, I'm i a very much a glass half full kind of person. So I wouldn't say that there were any challenges, but obviously there's a learning curve and understanding what um, value creation looks like from the private equity lens versus a DSO lens. So just really learning what it is that um, investors look for as far as creating that value when they're looking to pay some of the higher multiples. 
um, it's a completely different philosophy. When you're running the operations of a DSO, you're thinking about top line performance, culture, you know, bottom line performance, but you're not necessarily thinking about, um, you know, how to create a vertical that um, is different than others. And, and when you're on the private equity side, you, you have a different lens and you're um, thinking about the business a lot differently. And so, um, you know, that transition, of course, is, is always a challenge, but it's been a ton of fun to learn something new and, and be able to provide value to now both sides of the table, both the DSO side and the PE side. I, I forgot to mention to say that with, you know, no filter on, but I think we've had some previous conversations where I know that you're all about the no filter. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you're always... A you're a shade, you're a, you're a straight shooter. I can't talk apparently. You know, that's the one thing you have to do on a podcast is talk, but I just can't do it today. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of PE firms, um, it's definitely a unique experience, right, in this industry. And I think um, all of our listeners really want to know what is your like top tip uh, to kind of prep that dental office when they're ready to be acquired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, one of the things I've learned over the years working with private equity firms is that, you know, buying and stacking EBITDA, as we call it, is, is not enough. Anybody can go out and acquire practices. It's really about having value creation and creating a scenario where um, the investors coming in don't have to expend um, a bunch of capital. And so really having a clear view on what your integration playbook looks like, you know, what are your negotiables as far as things that can ride within that organization, what are the non-negotiables, and then doing a really good job getting people integrated to the degree where you can have those economies of scale, right? Because anybody, again, can buy a dental practice, but where's the value creation? How are you gaining those synergies? How are you driving costs down? How are you leveraging organizations that are out there as partners to bring automation and more sophistication to the way that you are managing the business? Um, you know, the school of thought of you have to do everything on your own is is kind of out the door. And um, the value creation is just really staying ahead of the curve, especially with all the changes coming to our industry right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it can be, you know, a difficult process, but knowing that there's people like you in their corner to help them out throughout the process is probably a, a great feeling. <laughs> absolutely. Um, moving away from finance, bleh finance, boring. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, But I'm a big marketing person, right? Every time I try to involve marketing into every conversation that I have, because it's what I live and breathe. um, I have to say congratulations on your new website and branding. I think you did a phenomenal job. Uh, What did, you know, what made you decide to to freshen up? Great question. Well, you know, my industry experience is is a very long journey, um, 27 years to be exact. And so I found myself often telling the story of like, you know, how did I get here? Because, you know, I I didn't go to school initially for business. I don't have a degree in finance. I was a hygienist in a past life. And so I finally decided I needed to create a place where my clients and others interested in partnership could go and, and learn more about me. But I also wanted to show, you know, my authentic self, my vulnerable self, the fact that I've had challenges in my life, just like anybody else, that the fact that I'm a single mom and, and, you know, what inspires me. So, you know, it was just my my attempt of really kind of um, wearing my heart on my sleeve and telling my story in a snapshot for my clients. 
Well, I think you did a great Thank job. You. It's awesome. I appreciate <laughs> it. Coming from you, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> All things marketing lady, right? Oh, yeah. All the time. <laughs> So Ellie, I know we were just talking about your website and, you know, all the services that you provide clients, but one of the things that I've been interested in and I've been seeing happen recently is DSOs that are acquiring too many locations too fast. You know, they're scaling too quickly. So how do you avoid that? And what are some, what's the, some strategy behind that so that that doesn't happen? Yeah, so it really just depends on the model and the perf initial performance of the practice, right? Um, and I, I've very much seen that happen too, where people are acquiring practices um, outright that are top performing, they actually break them. Uh, but with some of the newer deal structures with owner doctor involvement, you know, I think there's definitely um, more you know, uh, the practices are set up more for success because that continuity is there with the provider, uh, but also having the right functional support to support these practices. So meaning that you have the appropriate operational support, HR support, uh, because culture is such an important piece after an acquisition. When these practices roll on, if you're not there to provide white glove service in the onboarding of the um, employees, at the end of the day, I mean, a crown can't sell itself. We're in the service industry. You really need your people. Um, so making sure that you have all the pieces in place from a support perspective, you understand how to integrate these practices successfully. And then think about your model. If you're going and buying out practices 100% and bringing on board an associate, how much bandwidth do you have to make sure that continuity is there? What happens if your provider turns over? But if you have an owner-doctor or partnership model where the doctor stays, you probably can go a little bit faster. But just to kind of my punchline on that, as I always say, is go slow to go fast. You know, no one likes to work faster than I do. I'm pretty aggressive with my timelines and, you know, getting things done. But at the same time, you really have to have a clear understanding of what your pathway is and what your models are and what your support functions need to look like to be successful in acquiring quickly. Otherwise, yeah, we've all seen it. it. It's failing pretty quickly out there. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because you think when you're doing so well that you can acquire so much so quickly, and then it all just comes crumbling down mm -hmm. and it, you know, it kind of takes people by surprise, but I think your point exactly, you need to have the right people in place and the support and know exactly what to expect before you can even decide to scale like that. Exactly. So. And another thing people do is, is um, have a really aggressive de novo strategy and that requires cash up front and a ramp up period with patient lead um, generation and acquisition. And so, you know, making sure that you are getting the organic growth in each location or at least your business and revenue is stable before you add on or take more on is, is also really important. And when it comes to the IT component, so when you're bringing in new software and the implementation of that, how do you know when it's the right time to do that? <laughs> There's never a right time for, for IT migration, <laughs> frankly, but, you know, it's all about um, emotional preparedness of the staff and the teams because it's, you know, they're the ones that uh, whose life get impacted the most. It's super disruptive to them. So just making sure that you have like a countdown for the practice, high level of transparency, really good training, and then just yank that bandaid off because there's just, <laughs> like I said, never a good time to deal with something like that. But 
very necessary, right? We talked about value creation and how organizations can be prepared to get top multiples from private equity that are interested in entering the market. Well, they're not going to want to come in and spend a bunch of capital right-sizing your IT infrastructure, right? So planning um, and getting ahead of that and emotionally preparing your teams and your staff, you know, all those things will, will work. But then also think about it. It's so much easier to deal with your technology two to 10 practices at a time versus having to deal with a hundred or a thousand. Right. And when you spoke about de novo, so what is something that you commonly see that goes wrong when it comes to the de novo practices? Just, you know, not, not betting out the market well enough. Um, you know, having a market that's saturated, uh, not having your marketing and your lead generation strategy firm, um, you know, all, all the things that really fill up the chair time within a practice typically are, are a big challenge. Um, and of course, like I said, your people, your dentists, your, your staff are, are always the biggest challenge within our organization because it starts with, um, with the service that they provide. Well, I don't know if anyone knows this, but I just did five questions in five minutes. So awesome. really drilled you there, Ellie. <laughs> How did I do? <laughs> You did great. (laughs) All great answers and really, really informative and helpful, um, especially for these groups that are, you know, they're feeling this pain. They're going through it now. So great answers. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, if you'd like to learn more about Ellie Nadiri and Dental Solutions, you can visit her website, ellienadiri.com. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast or comment below if you have any questions for us. Thanks, Ellie. Awesome. Thanks, guys.